So guys, I think the uh, old gods were not very happy with me. Last show, we obviously did that NBA draft analysis. And what happened on my way to the NBA draft this year was I got stuck in probably some of the worst traffic in New York I've ever been in in my entire life because there was a bus on fire in the Lincoln Tunnel. So do you think that there's any correlation between what we did on this show and, and what happened to me? Um, yes, I think Danny Castro I'm going to use ass. my deductive reasoning here, Micah, and assume that the only explanation for this whatsoever is that the old gods were not happy with you this week. Mm. <laughs> How does a bus catch on fire in a tunnel? That seems like the worst possible scenario. That seems like that's like fire and brimstone. That's like people suffocating because they can't get out of the tunnel. I love what how the, a bus was in fire that? and Micah was like, oh, it was so hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I had to sit and wait for the whole thing. It was really annoying. In an air-conditioned bus when it was triple digits outside. You were in it wouldn't the bus give me 4G in the tunnel. I could only get 3G and it was just like, Twitter like, was slow. Were you in the bus? You weren't in the bus. You were no, in no, it was, it was He was bus. driving. <laughs> I mean, if you remember at the start of season two, Stannis and Melisandre burned the old gods, and what stopped me from getting to the draft? A burning bus. This is no uh, coincidence. So what you're saying is, this is a modern day burning bush for you, Micah. It's a burning bus. Yep, pretty much. Perfect. Well, hopefully it spoke to you what would become the spine slash backbone of this episode. We, uh, gosh, we, this is our first week of, like, Game of Owns off of the old structure completely, and it's moved directly into the literature. So we it's read exciting. chapters zero through five this past week, and happy to see so many of those awesome comments and tweets at us, you guys saying that you love the new idea of the format. And for those, a lot of you sitting and restarting to read it, and a lot of you even said that you guys are going to start rereading it with us. So Micah and Selena aren't alone in this aspect. And that's really scary because that was like our trump card. Even though we couldn't, oh, I couldn't remember half of the stuff. It was still, I could still be like, oh, but in the books, blah, blah, blah. But now you guys can do that too. <laughs> what do I have? Have to start being funny. Eric was just talking about how the, like how it's changing for him in his mind. And I just kept hearing mm. him saying, he was like, guys, I'm starting to remember names now. Yeah. <laughs> I know names. I am learning sigils, the houses and stuff. Like we'll talk about this a little later, but did you know that Winterfell well, you know, one of the seven kingdoms is as big as all the other kingdoms combined. Yeah, yeah. Robert says that to, to, to Ed. Ned. I just can't believe it. Ned or Eddard. So much for names. <laughs> Neddard. <laughs> yeah, I just lost it. was it. good so far. Well, it, it's really great because I, uh, I, you know, the, I have this perspective too. So even talking about it from my point of view, and I've, I've read these books, but I feel like as far as as far as I'm concerned, like I read this with the podcast in mind, and it really made me look at the text much different than any other book I think I've ever read, other than like the first run through a Potter book after it's brand new. But like, do you mm. guys get that idea? Like when you're rereading, because I'm rereading this too. Like, did it feel different? Like you were more analyzing it and appreciating it more? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, my 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 brain was trained for the owns. So, you right. know, every time a cool line came up, I was like, oh, I got to write that down. <laughs> right. No, I have a, I'm reading it on my iPad and you're able to go through and put notes and highlights and then it like aggregates them on a page for you. And it's so funny how many uh, I had actually tagged on my first read through because we had the Game of Owns website already. But I had tagged like a whole ass load of owns from this first book as my first mm -hmm. read through it. So like I was able to sort of go back them and compare my perspective from before and after the podcast was made. I feel like at some point, you know, George R. R. Martin should just release an own edition where he just puts in all the epic quotes 
Oh, there'll be an entire section just for Tyrion. Right. We're working on that with them right now. We'll, we'll work on that technology. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you get royalties for that? Maybe. Well, I think collectively, maybe it just helps us throw our own fan conventions for like Game <laughs> of Thrones. Like we want to throw a con like GooCon, right? And that's, that, that's that's not a, a sealant that you would normally find in a garage either. That's going to be the name of the con. So we'll use those royalty fees to start our first convention, right? Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. In the new Game of Thrones theme park. Hey, that's Goo not park. a bad idea. Although, the, I don't know, would a Game of Thrones theme park really work? Dude, I can just think of like names for the rides and like one of them would be Taking the Black. You're oh, God, God, evil Taking times. the Black. <laughs> One of them would be making the eight, you know. Uh-huh. Making the eight. Making the eight. No, a drink would be called making the eight. Waking you know, like the dragon. The that you have be one where one. you get the ride to the top of the wall and just look at stuff, and then all of a sudden the, the lift <laughs> breaks and you fall all the way down. Yeah, chairlift to the wall. That'd Slapping the Joffrey. That yeah. would be fun. Yeah, you know, just some good stuff. And there's nice restaurants. You can, like, taste some Pentos cooking. Like, oh, man, they have so many squids here. They're fresh. They can make so much money. <laughs> No, but yeah, we've had, uh, and obviously we want to get right into the book, but we had uh, uh, such a great response on Micah's Game of Thrones NBA draft idea from a lot of you guys that listen to the show. And I know that a handful of them really stuck out to us. So we found some before the show and we thought we would share some of these draft picks with you guys. Uh, Let's hope no more buses catch on fire in any tunnels blocking (laughs) people's 4th of July traffic. 4th of July traffic? Yeah, for tomorrow. Oh. 4th of July Independence Day. Yeah, tomorrow, just the 4th of July, Micah. It just happens to be the 230th... you know, 226th or 224th anniversary of the United States of America declaring independence from Britain. Yes. I Yay. was sitting today um, after filming on the way to come record here. Um, I was sitting and listening to Bruce Springsteen and I was just like born in the USA in it. Like it's time to celebrate. Right, Selena? I'm absolutely ready to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm sure the Sweden will have something fun to do tomorrow. I'm sure we'll be yep. celebrating you guys' independence. That's good. We've been waiting. So, Tren Nguyen wrote in, and she's a uh, regular tweeter uh, to our podcast, uh, talking about the NBA draft. And she had this to say, drafts, Loris, good with balls, Rob, <laughs> good at scoring, yes. Baelish, tactics, Brienne, right. And Eric's fishnet for opponents' immediate <laughs> surrender. Oh, God, yes. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this. Is my fishnet going to be like the new shadow monster and it's going to come out and like force people to surrender or stick a knife through? Like, what, what does this mean, Eric's fishnet? Am I on that draft team? They or? probably both originated from equally shady places, interiors. Uh, okay. Yeah, because my fishnet was manufactured in. Uh, never mind. Yeah, no, it was manufactured with love, though. I'm sure it was from love. So Kristen wrote on the hyperpool.com comment thread. So I finally got to catch up and listen to all 13 episodes of the podcast. So here goes my basketball lineup. Hodor for size and muscle by the basket. Arya, definitely the point guard. She's nimble and quick and should have no problem darting around the defense. Jon Snow. He just looks athletic. <laughs> I like that. Um, I would definitely put him as guard. <laughs> That's a good reason. He just looks guard. athletic. Um, Gendry, nice. him and Arya have a good rapport and would be a, a pain to guard. I'd put him at one of the posts. Brienne, I'd put her at the other post. This girl even knows the positions. This is great. You always need a little more muscle and she would probably distract Jamie if he was on the other team. Is that All he would be able to think is, is that a woman? <laughs> Yes, that was very good. Thank yeah. you so much. 
Well, Kristen, that was very, uh, you have a, a vast knowledge of the game of basketball. I, th- I feel like you and Eric should yeah. meet and have a conversation about this. Because I still, there's a few things I still need to learn about basketball currently. <laughs> and Jessica writes in, and this was on the Hive website, if I am correct as well, if my memory mm-hmm. serves me, but it says, Brienne and Jamie, these two are the muscle. They are awesome together and both incredibly strong. In regards to Micah's spoilerific comment about Jamie, this hasn't happened on the show yet. In regards to your spoilerific parenthetical inside of this post, Jessica, I would like to say that I cut out most of that, so yes. we're okay. <laughs> Rob, Rob would be an awesome team leader. Look at how many battles he has planned and executed successfully against much more seasoned lords and knights. He is a natural-born leader, and unless the opposing team is filled with booted nurses, I think he can easily lead a team to victory. Arya... She is a freaking water dancer. She would be able to dance all around the opposing team to score points. Braun. Braun would be one of those versatile players who can do whatever was needed. Plus, he's a total badass who has excellent aim. This is true. So that's true. Good stuff. No, I I, I, I agree completely. What is what is she going off of excellent aim? The fact that he shot a flaming arrow into a sea of... of tra- that was of, pretty uh, excellent, uh, though. You know, oil to light the damn thing on fire. Like, what's where's his <laughs> aim been tested? I, just, well, it's just like, I feel like before they went out, they sat Braun down and were like, listen, Braun, you, ba- you pretty much just have one chance with this arrow, because if you miss, they're going to know that we're definitely something's up. So <laughs> <laughs> you have one chance. So I think he had to sort of visualize it like Walt on Lost and just like understand that that's the only option that he had. I, I have to give props to Tren, though, because she was able to put all of that into 140 characters or less. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and Are you kidding really me? get to the point. Not not to take anything away from Kristen or Jessica. Yeah. I'm just giving props. No, no, Tran, yeah. you deserve like all of the cred. You can have the cred. Our balance is now zero. We've given it all to Tran. <laughs> Where's Larry the Wombat at? I mean, Le- Larry the I didn't Dire see Wolf. anything from him. Oh, Larry yeah. the Dire Wolf. We've got a handful of those that we're saving until the end of the episode because they're they're just too funny like we we have to spread it out. You see, yeah. because we're like a well-timed baking session. It's like, do you want the cake? Do you want the cake to be moist and have layers, or do you want to singe the outsides and have the frosting not taste as good? You love your kids, don't you? You want the cake to be as, as good oh as it can gosh. be. More about cakes and baking. I think of that timer that was going off right before we started. <laughs> anyway, um, so we started reading the book this week, and we got through chapters zero through five. And, uh, you know, we, we got to start sort of the same way that we did in the television series, which was, in my opinion, guys, don't you feel like this was just the entire concept of this prologue just embodied the the definition of what a prologue is almost like perfectly to the definition, even with like the time and the location of it. It was just I thought it was just brilliantly done. Yeah, it's so fascinating because you're starting a story outside of like Westeros, which is where your story is set. This is... In, you know, in a way, it's it's outside of the normal. It's outside of the norm, but at the same time, it almost re- better reflects, you know, Westeros because of that. You know, they're north of the Wall, but something sinister is up there, and they're tasked with protecting it. And you know, it, it just it it's it had the right amount of mystery, it had the right amount of fantasy, and I think the right amount of detail. Um, one of the things I was most surprised about reading the prologue, but also these other chapters, is that there is a lot of detail, but it's not overwhelming or written in a way that mm. is isolating. I mean, these books I found to be, so far, extremely readable. I gotta say, I totally agree with you. I think that obviously the books are written really amazingly, but I always, I always thought that the prologue in the series as well 
maybe wasn't I mean I'm getting <laughs> really critical like I could do it better but um maybe it wasn't the best way to start the show because it almost put me off both when I was watching the show and when I was reading the book because I was just like well who are these people you know what what is the point of them and I know I obviously know what the point of them was but it was just it was so far removed I think if it if it had started with Bran or or Ned or something like that maybe it would have it would have gripped me I sort of had to go through the prologue before I was like, oh, this is awesome, you know? But right. of course, reading it now, I, I can appreciate it a lot more. That's usually the case, though, isn't it? With yeah. prologues in general, it's sort of this mm. tangential piece that eventually you come back to and have some resolution with later on in the main story. Now, what's different about this is you kind of get the resolution right away uh, with what happens in the next chapter, but you know, you're sort of left to wonder... Who are these others and, and what's their tie to the rest of the story? It's great to feel the amount of perspective that this prologue pushes in text versus what it did in the show. I felt like in the show it was incredibly less impactful. I, I would agree with that. Um, when they're describing the sword that like reflects the light of the moon, but when it's held sideways, you can't see that there's a sword there because the blade is so thin and like obviously made with magic. That was awesome. It was just lots of great perspective that, you know, within the confines of that forest and what they were doing was able to set the entire tone of everything that would ever come out of anything that has to do with the Game of Thrones book or any of the ones that followed, which which is this, that they live in a medieval time where dead is dead. And we have no business with the dead through, you know, the way they talked about um, never trusting what he hears at a woman's tit or whatever, which eventually, which basically is, it's basically all that saying is this is the world we live in right now where it's still a very like male dominated society ish. And you're going to see um, like sort of the levels of politics change as uh, the wealthier the person gets and then go to a more base value with the poorer the person is, which in a way kind of re reflects a lot of the circumstances that we're living through. So it was just like a perfect parody of modern times with whatever medieval universe he was creating, but he was able to do that within a prologue and not to deal with any of the characters that we'll ever care about. And it was really passively done, which I thought was great. It was passive. I, that's the word I wanted to use. I couldn't figure out how to work it in. Um, you know, even in the prologue though, like you just said this out loud, but even in the prologue, there were those made for TV lines, like don't trust anything right. you hear at a woman's right. tip, you know, <laughs> which are like not family friendly <laughs> at all, but perfect for HBO. And I'm just glad that the books in, in that way, I guess, because I've seen the series first, the first two seasons of the TV show first, I was glad that the books were, you know, that, the, that they went the same places and there's, that there's still that edgy. Um, even early on, they're harsh. Like you say, he's creating this harsh medieval reality, um, you know, with these strong characters that say things you just ordinarily wouldn't expect. Um, you know, it's, it's more gritty. It's more, uh, you know, in a way it's pure, um, because they're in the wilderness in the wide open. So very cool. And, you know, we're just being introduced to this world. I thought for a prologue, it really succeeded. What did you guys think when Sir Waymer Royce rolls up? And he has a meticulously <laughs> descriptive paragraph talking about basically what a rap song does in one line, which is all black earth thing. Well, he's not terrible. He's not necessarily doing anything yeah. terrible. And he's not terribly impressive, but he's got some badass cloaks on. So that's cool. <laughs> what was interesting was describing uh, Martin describing their age differences um, and how they view that, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the younger member of the pack 
being in in a way more experienced, you know, and Will is able to climb trees, and they were talking about why they were kind of exiled to the wall to begin with, and all that stuff was just fascinating. Having seen the TV series, I just it, it just I really think it succeeded as a jumpstart to get me into these books, but and I love it for that. Um, but I love these books. Like you book read like five chapters, and you're like, really, oh <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I can tell I'm going to like it. I can really just tell I'm going to like it because I'm getting along with the the way the yeah. info is and and it's just the the way the book is is written i just i feel it's, the connection it's like potter exciting i don't want to go that far hmm. but it's pretty Ooh. exciting you know it's good to, throwing the gauntlet it's good there to, yeah i'm serious though it's it's uh when the, the the harder i'm reading into it i feel like i might have i might am, i'm forced to maybe feel a similar perspective that i felt when i was like nine years old, starting, you know, Harry Philosopher's Stone, I guess, was when I got it. So, you know, I, maybe I'm channeling something like that kind of enthusiasm or perspective because I'm forced to be critical for the podcast. So I just feel like a to- it's totally different. And maybe the people listening are feeling the same thing because they want to be, they want to catch up and they want to understand what we're saying in the show. So you guys listening there catching up with us, you know, you inadvertently may also be experiencing this really cool thing, which is the ability to sort of read harder into the story and make it be a little bit more special. One of the things that that's always kind of bothered me about this particular type of reaction to a quote unquote deserter, there's no real way to have evidence of what this person experienced. And I think that goes back to what you know, we were talking a little bit about before. This is you know, Westeros. This is what happens. You know, th- there's the King's Justice. There's all these different types of things where that's just the way that it is and that's how it happens. And regardless of what you experience beyond the wall, what you say, what you did, you're a deserter and your penalty mm. for it is death. Yep. And there's just no way around that. I mean, you think about all the sort of legal systems and, uh, you know, what we have in place today from you know from a, a judicial standpoint back then or whenever this takes place maybe takes place in the future after a meteor hits the earth i don't know <laughs> right that's what's going to be <laughs> that's just what happens you know you got caught running away from the night's watch because you saw some creepy guys with blue eyes and now your penalty for it is your life yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's no talking your way out of this parking ticket, you know, like this no. is, that's just it. <laughs> it's cool though, and Micah, you're exactly right. Like, it's all about perspective, which is what I feel like not only the prologue but also this first opening chapter is giving us, which is just an, an incredible amount of um, foreshadowing to to what we're gonna see. And and I feel like reading it and knowing that it is directly um, a block of foreshadowing, even even reading it for the first time, I feel like we could understand that it's it's doing that without us knowing the future. And I think that it's pretty powerful inside mm-hmm. of it. But what in, what's interesting though is that this entire I mean it, except for the prologue obviously when we when we sort of take it to the main storyline we're still technically following one of the guys we just saw in the prologue except obviously we're not following him cuz he gets his head chopped off. But it is sort of a nice a nice transition, isn't it? Because we're not just jumping from one place to another. We're actually seeing sort of a direct correlation, I guess. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to talk about. Obviously, with the book, we have this issue of point of view, mm-hmm. right? What point of view is the book being told from? And I thought about it, and I'm thinking I was comparing it, obviously, to Potter because that's the other series I've read. But I wanted to say it's obviously third person, but it's not necessarily third person omniscient because it's yeah. like from the perspective of each each of the people. It's 
told from, but it's not first person. But at the same, it's just so interesting because it's just like he, it, it's the same third person the whole time, but he's just focusing yep. on somebody right. else. Right. And it's not, the other thing I noticed was there's no, cha- there's no table of contents in the beginning of my book. And I, that kind of bothered me. Like the chapters aren't numbered, you know, obviously we have to, we had to refer to the, the wiki of ice and fire to get the full list of how many chapters there were. There's 70 chapters in this book or 70 different points of view. It's just a very interesting way to, to write your book, you know, in a way that's just kind of sprawling without any kind of, you know, I don't want to say without structure, but without, you know, I don't know, a table of contents. Is that weird? It's got guts, though. It takes total guts to come out and say, this is the new yeah. setup. This is this is yeah. how I'm making it. It's it's good. It's good to have that kind of confidence. And it really um it lets you trust the story early on because they take themselves that seriously. Especially because, you know, as we move on in reading the stories, we'll find that some chapters don't even have names. They just have vague descriptions of the people they are talking about. And you're sort of halfway through the chapter. You're like, who is this person? What, like The Prophet? So, Isn't that book three? So, yeah, yeah, something like that. It's, uh, it's know, very right. interesting. Just big blocks of confidence, though. It takes, yeah. you know, that, that's great. I love it. I love how he married this prologue and this first chapter because we got direct references of um, the what we're looking for wildlings. Jared, they were describing some of those characters out in the prologue, and we got to learn so much about how rough and ragtag, and how one had been there for four years, and one had been there for like 30 years, and it was just crazy. <laughs> yeah. And we've got this this brand new lord whose newly forged sword was shattered anyway, even no matter how badass his sword was, it was destroyed, and they were taken care of. So we get all this great perspective, and we get to know about the wildlings and all these things, and they scare us so much, what the hell is this thing? And then we're back. We're in and Winterfell, everything's chill, everything's relaxed, chill. everything's calm. And you know, Eric, you said before that you don't really know what ch- what point of view the story is told from, but I think it's kind of interesting that the very first person, like the first proper point of view that we get from anyone is Bran. Like we're introduced to all these huge characters in the series, Ned, John, um, your good friend Theon, Rob, through Bran's eyes. Before anyone else, that's that's yeah. the per- people we see them through, and I think that's me, really interesting. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, if Bran is extra special for that, mm. or if it was a good way. Because yeah. the other thing, the other thing he's doing is each of these first five chapters that we've read, it's just so fascinating. They're like they're all introductions. They're all introductions yeah. of each of the different characters, the the people who surround them, and what they're all about, and. Mm. Especially with the Danny chapter, it was very clear, I think, to me what his intentions were to have her be, you know, a sympathetic character. Like, how we're supposed to feel about Bran, or specifically Ed, you know, because we see Eddard or Ned talking to his son about justice and, you know, how it's carried out. And that is obviously extremely important, um, you know, because he's the head of the house. And we kind of meet all the other people, including his ward, Theon Greyjoy, my good friend. Um, and we find out what kind of man raised these people. And, mm-hmm. you know, with Jon Snow, you know, Bran's chapter was 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 a great um, look at the dynamics of the group, especially Jon Snow, um, you know, particularly when they when they find the direwolves and Bran is admiring Jon's way with words, the way that he's excluding himself and then later, you know, standing up for himself. So it's very it was just again, it's very, very um, fun to read. It's and it's just so interesting to meet these characters. Uh, I I, th- I think it's it's very interesting tying back to what we 
we're talking about before with not necessarily just foreshadowing, but perspective in that, you know, when you reread through a book, you're able to say, oh, George Martin, you're one crafty bastard, you know, and (laughs) you can do that with a lot of different authors, I feel like, you know, you can do it with the Potter Potter series. No, because think about when you go and reread through the Potter series, you find, oh, you know, this place was mentioned three books before it actually became important, or this Horcrux was buried in, uh, you know, uh, one of the early books, but nobody paid any attention to it. You know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of that for for I us as we so. go through and, Story and payoffs. we reread it yeah. again. Well, and I really liked, Selena, what you were saying, the fact that it kind of opens with Bron and his perspective. If anything, it's uh, it's almost more romantic to have sort of a young adult's perspective um, on things because it's still so hopeful. <laughs> it's, I mean, well, in their world, that's, I mean, he's, he's yeah, now old enough. Much. They were saying it's his first day that he gets to be this like older person. And so it's a, it's a hopeful um, sort of charming perspective rather than when you, something like Ned to be more of a, a worrying perspective. He's worrying mm-hmm. about Robert coming, you know, he's worried about um, John Aaron, like every, everyone has different motivations when they're older. And I feel like someone of bronze age would just have nothing but a kind perspective and just, and just, and just amazement. So what better way to open with us other than this is this bright, uplifting sort of amazing perspective. That's just in shock because he's never done this before and you haven't either. So let's begin together. And just on that, like that here's him as a quote unquote young adult, especially I guess to you and, and Eric, um, because obviously in the, in the, TV series, you know, we've got John and and um, Rob and Theon, who are all sort of the same age, in the like mid twenties or early twenties. We've got Bran, who's probably in the series about twelve. Yet here we sort of have them like five years younger, all of them, except They're Theon is still ages, older. Yeah. So, it, does that change your perception of them, or do you still see them as the TV characters? Or I don't, not not for me. I I had already read this book previously, but not not as hard as this, but even, even then, um, cause I'd watched the show before I read the first book the last time I didn't, I didn't change my perspective. I just felt like the show was trying to tell that same exact story, except just on paper, they have to make the people older. So it's more attractive to watch yeah. and it's, it's easier to hire them. I feel like that's just something they felt like they had to decide and be okay with that. That was just going to be the reality, but the story would be the same. So I'm thinking of it just whatever in the world of Westeros and that place, um, that age, age is kind quicker. of corresponds to yeah. in in, just, in our life they would be older and and yeah. make the kind of decisions they do. It's, younger, it's like yeah. an exchange rate between country to country with currency. Just the same thing. It's like well there it's different here it's different. That's just their world. You know it's like a it's like a Wes Anderson film. Like it's carefully constructed <laughs> and to be obviously unbelievable. But you have to accept that what in this universe uh, you know everything's possible. But um, maybe not everyone knows that, but they still live mm. within unlimited bounds and unlimited restrictions. So a seven-year-old can go see an execution and it's totally normal. You know, yeah. it's yeah. it's brand new. When they were talking about Rickon as well, and they were like, he's three, but he has to start growing up now. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just about, you know, it's a world where um, survival is less passive. Like you have to know how to go out in the forest and uh, start a fire if you're lost. And, you know, I feel like countless people living in the world that we live in now would would not be able to do that would probably die at some point. So this is a world where everyone can do it. The rich people, the poor people, the middle people, you know, like even, even the animals are crazier. Mm. Yeah. Bigger. <laughs> and then there's Hodor. And then there's Hodor. So let's talk about the direwolves uh, for a moment. I know Selena's really happy about that, <laughs> but uh, 
So they find this this mother that has been killed. And they hear the uh, the screaming or the um, you know whines of these cubs, dire wolf cubs. Yeah, dire wolf cubs. Okay, well, I just I put about like five points in the dock for this because this is this is my absolute favorite scene of <laughs> I, I think the entire first season really because I'm like I love the the whole foreshadowing of this. This is fantastic. You know, this is what I want to see more of. And, you know, we've got, first of all, we've got the obvious sort of connection that e- even Ned makes this connection, <laughs> in this, you know, yeah, like just in case was, we didn't get it. He's such a <laughs> hater, too. He's like, ah, oh, man, that stuff's not weird. Yeah. Everyone's just crazy. It's like, Ned, there's clearly a, there's clearly yes. a horn in this wolf exactly. that hasn't been here in 300 years, bud. He's like, let's just go to the house, guys. Come on. Yeah. He's like, whatever. You know, we'll deal with this later in the story. But yeah, so interestingly, the um the the his sigil of House Stark is is obviously a direwolf, and this direwolf, particular mother direwolf, had a um stag antler in its neck, which if you know you want to get really pedantic about it, you know they they we later find out that you know Ned dies with the I guess, but I guess this is interesting though because a stag is obviously the Baratheon. Um, symbol, but arguably it's Joffrey's fault that he dies, and Joffrey isn't technically a Baratheon. So, uh. yeah, I yeah. think what's going on about this is that uh, basically working for you know in the next chap, next two chapters, Robert comes tries to recruit Ned. Right. So I think it's just a symbol that you know foreshadowing that if Nedward, uh, Nedward, because I want to call him Edward, but he's not. He's Edward. Edward. If Ned goes to work for Baratheon, that's that's what it is. If he becomes the hand of the king and works for House Baratheon, it's going right. to mean his death. That's yeah, that's what the, that's yeah. what the foreshadowing. It was an is, omen, right, but, and he chose not to listen to it. Or they just couldn't get lions in the north. Like they couldn't write that in. Too cold for lions. So the lions are <laughs> yeah. not going to kill him. The antlers going to kill him. <laughs> I don't know. Right, Martin what lions? He'd write in lions. You know? But it's a direwolf mother, though. Yeah. One of the two things. <laughs> not a father. Well. Oh man. Yeah. Do you think that kills the whole thing? Do you think mm, yeah, no? Don't, you don't scrap yeah, it's just a direwolf. <laughs> it's just a direwolf. It couldn't be a dad. <laughs> things like those direwolves, which haven't been seen in thousands of years, and Theon's like, you know, these things haven't been seen in thousands of years. And Rob says to him, "I'm seeing one now." You know, it's yeah. just the idea that all all gloves are off. Even every yeah, Theon's stupid. Well, again. even though hang on, everything that even these characters knew to be true can change and is changing. And that makes the story exciting to read. He did such a great job um, introducing Theon's character that the second mm-hmm. the head was cleaved off of the body and the spray summer wine of blood went against the snow, uh, Theon kicked the head and like laughed. And Jon Snow was like, ass. Like, <laughs> it, it introduced like the uh, from the beginning, Martin was like, hey, this guy's going to be a dipshit. Just so you know, mm-hmm. he, he definitely kicked a head. So, uh, <laughs> well, in the show, doesn't he kick a head? Also, I don't remember Theon when he kills. Uh... He does. He does do that. You're right. Oh wow! He wants to get drafted for Sounds a football right. tournament. <laughs> but so another sort of interesting foreshadowy part of this direwolf scene that I I wanted to bring up because I read this quote and having watched the show and read the books once, um, I just read this. And I was like, huh. Um, Bran is sort of thinking when they find Jon Snow's pup, who they sort of have to come back for because it had crawled away from the others uh, or been kicked out. Oh. Um, so Bran, uh, the sentence comes in the book, Bran thought it curious that this pup alone would have opened his eyes while the others were still blind. 
and you know my sleuthing mind is it immediately just goes danger danger it's uh, <laughs> it must be some kind of foreshadowing i'm not quite sure to what though to me that doesn't make as much sense like john sees something before the others do or john the way that john sees the world has some kind of significance i don't know it doesn't necessarily i That's just thought it was in interesting the, uh, in the john's chapter Tyrion says to him bastards grow up the quickest or perhaps that's in the John chapter when he's talking to his uncle about it, about joining the wall. Um, in fact, I think that's where it appears. Yeah, he says something like, you know, pastors do grow mm -hmm. up the quickest, and his uncle says, that's true. But yeah, I'm just thinking, like, John's albino wolf has his eyes open and all the others are still blind. I guess maybe it doesn't mean anything. I think I'm just looking for this, you know, these the significance of these wolves to actually be anything. Because, I mean, I've said before that it's some, I sometimes worry that some early foreshadowing or something like that is um i don't know it, it changes along the way or maybe george r. r martin decides not to go back to it or something like that and i really think that the fact that these wolves came to represent stark's five children and john's and all of that it has to mean something in the story and at this point in the story they're sort of just like la 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 some of them have their wolves some of them don't have their wolves um as what happens later in the story and i just wonder is that going to be significant you know is it going to be significant that sansa's wolf is dead. Is it going to be significant that Arya doesn't have hers anymore? Or yeah. is it just, was it only significant at, for this first part of the story? It has to be because, again, again, I'm like, this is the first chapter of any book, like, of the whole series. Like, the first first real chapter of the series. So anything that happens has to be, like, extra important. It doesn't, though. It doesn't necessarily. It could be just, like, the prologue, right? Setting some things up. But the fact that, I don't know, this is just an odd occurrence, right? It's an omen. Uh, even though Ed mm -hmm. doesn't want it to be, that these dire wolves match the children, uh, including Jon Snow, surprisingly. Jon said it, man, and he made everybody feel so small because he was, like, so selfless. He was like, guys, it's <laughs> yes. okay. Listen, I don't need a wolf. You guys are the real, you guys are the real ones. And he, like, yeah. bristled the hair out of his dark eyes. And just, <laughs> everyone's going, like, he's 14, you know what? Zach. He should definitely have to, uh, you, everyone should get the... Uh, Everyone should get a dire wolf now. And John's like, yeah, I don't need one. And so they're riding away from the site. And John's like, wait, do you hear that? I think that's another wolf. And then he took it. Now he has one. So I like well played John Snow. I think he knew about the other wolf the whole time. <laughs> he took it and put it away from the group just so they, oh, they could maybe. go there. Yeah. And it would be an even. But he, he's, a, he's like a true Slytherin, man. Just a true Slytherin. <laughs> Selena, the, the point about Arya, though, you we've seen this show. We know that she does, in fact, become separated from her family. So I think that there is a bit of foreshadowing there with her dire wolf. Mm. Um, you know, you mentioned that she gets separated later on from Nymeria, and she herself becomes distanced from her family. So, but they all get I don't separated, know, though. But I think there's there's a strong connection between what happens to their dire wolf and what happens to their specific characters for the ones you know, who, who aren't completely separated. Like obviously John and Bran and Rickon still, and Rob still have their direwolves mm -hmm. very close to them, but it seems like the other two, you know, could have at least been a little bit of foreshadowing as to what was going to happen to them later on in the story. Well, I always figured, and this might be like really stupid, but I always figured that it was sort of had to do with how far away they were from the North. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but obviously because the Starks are supposed to be in the north and winter is coming and dire wolves and they were from beyond the wall or whatever, you know, Arya and Sansa move south, but 
John obviously moves north, and I don't know. I don't know. It might be stupid. I'm, I'm just trying to desperately find some kind of meaning. <laughs> well, I have something here. Before they find the wolves, uh, I'll read it really quickly. It's when uh, Ed, as Eric calls him, is uh, talking to Bran, and he says, "One day, Bran, you'll be Rob's bannerman, holding a keep of your own for your brother and your king, and justice will fall to you." You know that happened. I think a lot sooner than most people would have Expected. anticipated. <laughs> Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Oh, poor Ned. Poor 35-year-old Ned. Yeah. So, Catelyn. This, the beginning of her chapter, I thought was awesome because it's a lot about the religion and about how Catelyn is of this different religion where they sing. She's basically walking into the God's Wood to go find her husband who has to, you know, cleanse himself because he's just killed somebody. Um, I thought it was amazing. And she's talking about they're sitting by this tree that has this face carved into it. You know, most of the time, in fact, she sits with her back to the tree because she feels like it... It might eat her. It, it, she feels like it doesn't like what she's telling Ned or there, there's some issue there with her and the old gods. But little does she know the reason the tree is smiling is because it just got done with Hodor. Yeah, that's true. No, no, she had to fight like a bunch of Deku Babas on the way in there and some like little skull kids were running around. It was just perfect. She gets to the great tree and Ned's waiting there for her and she didn't even have to have a sword or a shield to get mm-hmm. through. I'll yeah, tell you and- what was totally unexpected for me was that in season two watching the show, they uh, th- that one line with Master Loom was like, oh, the children of the forest. Here in the chapter... There are all these references to these children of the forest in the first book. In the first, you know, in the second or third chapter of the first book, we're reading about how these old children of the forest actually carved these faces in the trees that they too worship the old gods and that they are long lost. Like, this was unbelievable. I was like, oh my God, children of the forest. (laughs) freaking out like you know i want to know more about this magic history like we were saying on the show but in the book it's been here all along you think you'll ever cosplay as a child of the forest uh i don't know do they wear fishnet <laughs> um i was hoping that they might but i think that they might yeah. wear they more of like, a green based it's like a green based tunic yeah. some like tree, tree bark free people kind of they, like all have the, they all have fairies i thought it was great as well to see the perspective from Catelyn talking about all this religious stuff. And I thought it was really sweet when uh, um, it was talking about how Ned like took care of her praying situation too out there because uh, he didn't want her just to take his, but to also keep hers. Or I think it was just keep hers and just maybe let's ignore the fact that she doesn't believe the same way he does, which I think <laughs> that they were casually doing. But uh, she comes out and he's just like cleaning his sword on that sweet, like it's the best artesian water you can find. Yeah. And uh, he's cleaning his blade that's like huge and like it's at least 400 years old because they folded the steel a hundred times, even though like the strongest blades that people use in like American warfare history, which is like the katana from like Chinese lore, usually is like nine times folded steel. And this is like a hundred times and forged with magic. So yeah. there you go. That's a little bit of awesomeness as she comes up and she's just like hey how was it oh yeah that's cool i got some bad news <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had a good day but in case you weren't feeling shitty enough for yeah guys <laughs> like, off, I, i've got some more i need to tell you this you before you go hear. back and like jory or someone like just like makes a comment about it and you feel like i was keeping something from you like i want to make sure our relationship's number one priority right now <laughs> And this is what I happened. Love them. I love them. I ship them so hard. Yeah. What does it mean? I got to ask you guys to foster somebody. They talk about this a few times in the first five chapters. Like uh, John Aaron was basically like a father figure to Ned. 
um, because he fostered him? What is that? Like, was Ned an only child? What does that mean? No, think of it like how Theon is in Winterfell, except not as, like, by law or slavery. Yeah, they take their children away to to raise them with other children in, in noble houses to sort of foster the connections between the houses. Yeah, it's like they're building their future. It's like so Robert and Ned, before they were... You know, because they usurped the crown, so they were they were probably some sort of nobility. They were nobility, but they weren't like you're the king, nobility. So they were growing up as kids, just like the the kids in the Game of Thrones universe is, are growing up now, like just like they were Arya's and Sansa's and Johns and Robs, except they were together, and they Lord Aaron was their was their Ned Stark essentially. He was their dad. Okay, and I feel like mm. the show does such a, a a bad job comparatively speaking to the book, and really painting how important John Aaron was to Ned and how he actually was his father. So we get to see when she tells him this, just like. You get to see Ned get hit with basically his dad just died, essentially. And so it's it's a big deal versus what I felt like it was in the show. Like I felt like it was just, you know, not that big of a deal. Yeah. And now things work in the books a little differently than they do in, in our world. Wasn't John Aaron gonna marry the older sister of Catelyn? Uh, or uh, did, did, did they or something? They yeah, said Yeah, he married John John Aaron married her sister, her older sister. And so they Lisa became Tully. brothers. Because they're talking yes. about brotherhood too. And I'm like, okay, were they brothers? Were they fathers? Were they, you know, this, that, the other thing? The point <laughs> is that they're close and that this was a, a tragic loss that I, yeah, I, I also felt was skipped from the show. Let's just like imagine the, the wedding at the Vale or whatever and stuff like that. You know, I'm just saying like there's, they went through so many life experiences together. Yeah. And so they're, you know, he's older and he's doing his kingly stuff from the throne they usurped that he fought with him during. And, you know, he's doing his regent in the north stuff. So I feel like there's just such a deep life. Like, like I'm going to compare it to the Marauders having their childhood in Hogwarts. Like, there's so much perspective that we know is there. And that I feel like he told us passively within, like, two sentences. And with and within the sorrow in Ned's eye when he saw, when he looked at Catelyn. Like, we mm. learn all this perspective immediately. And it just makes the characters that much more deep. Uh, I wrote this line down while reading this chapter. But I think Ned says to Catelyn that the others, and this is Children of the Forest again, I'm going to mention, sorry, but he says, the others are as dead as the Children of the Forest gone 8,000 years. Okay, but the prologue of the book shows an other. And so, again, there's this renewed hope that these Children of the Forest, mysterious, lost Children of the Forest, are going to come back. Oh my God. You know, cause there's always the possibility that maybe they were just from the tail section and they weren't really the others. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. But you know you know what I'm saying though, like it's just like JK Rowling in certain scenes where characters will say, Oh, they're as dead as you know, they're you know, this and this equate to each other. But then as the reader, you're treated to this extra knowledge because you've read the previous chapter or the next chapter and you're making the connection. So Yeah, but we're also told in the prologue that dead is dead and that's just how it is. So mm-hmm. it's just what so happened, the, happened. so many of these reoccurring thematic elements of death. Exactly, exactly. And it's just, it keeps coming in and out throughout Valen the story. Morghulis. <laughs> I thought, you know, really, another thing that was really done very well in that chapter was when Catelyn's also like, hey, uh, P.S., P.S.S., um, <laughs> you mean Robert's also coming over and he's like what it's like she came up and gave him all of this like crazy news like he's like damn like she couldn't text him ahead of time she just had to she just had to go tell him and she's like by the way Robert's coming he's there's never no, been no here there's no cell reception in the godswood apparently. yeah also he's bringing the entire realm and a hundred soldiers yeah but when 
he's told about Robert, you get that sense of elation on his part. And and you also get, I think, and you do see this in the in the upcoming chapters, just how much of a bond the two of them have with each other. We talked about how John Aaron was like a father figure. You know, Robert is really a a brother to him. Um, you know, yes, he has other brothers, obviously. One, he he's already lost in Benjamin, who he recalls from the wall. I'm not really sure how that works. Is that like calling them up from the minor leagues or something like <laughs> what does what does Benjamin what allows him to be able to visit from the wall versus, you know, any other member of the Night's Watch? But, you know, Is there's that really strong or something, isn't he? Or some kind of oh, that he has some kind he's of just, anything. He's just bros with the king. You think that shit doesn't happen nowadays? Come on, that's true. Yeah, like he's yeah. just like they're like, hey man, we want to visit a temporary leave. We haven't been here in a while, so let me go and I got I got I, I've stayed up like thirty vacation days. Like we'll be good. <laughs> vacation <laughs> like, days. All right, Benjamin, you're straight. You can go. And the king, the king called in a few favors. You know, he knows a few people, and. uh He's just gonna march his happy ass out to you know win- winter is coming itself Winterfell and they're gonna be hanging out in Winterfell and so Ned is just pumped he was just like dang how long has it been that bastard and he was like he would just she would just leave without giving me any kind of warning so like he's just like trying to get his place looking cool like make sure that he has like all the posters up that he used to have up when he was a kid so like Ned doesn't think or Robert doesn't think he got old and he's into like other shit now like he's just excited to hang out with his bud you know. And, you know, yeah. he, he doesn't even care that the Lannisters are coming. They suck. He does not like the Lannisters, but he's just like, whatever. Like, imagine Robert. Just really think about this. I don't know if many people ever really think about this, but he straight up was like, hey, I want to go see Ned because I think Ned should be my hand. And, like, 150 other people had to drop their entire life and just walk on a road with him <laughs> for, like, three months to the north. <laughs> Like that's that's some sway. He's got some power. That's pretty cool. It's true. And and even later on, we find out how much he doesn't like the Lannisters. When you know, there's that discussion between him and Rob about who John Aaron's son should go live with, and you get how much disdain he has for Tywin Lannister. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> I want to talk about more writing when Robert and Ned finally meet. Um, Ned's a little surprised because Robert, you know, used to be this this really I want to say ripped warrior. Um, in fact, the line from the book. Now he rips his clothes. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I have to. Uh, he had had a giant strength and his weapon of choice, a spiked iron warhammer that Ned could scarcely lift. In those days, the smell of leather and blood had clung to him like perfume. Next paragraph. Now it was perfume that clung to him like perfume. And he had a girth. Oh, wow. He had a girth to match his height. So. That's that's just amazing, right? Descriptors. I'm like flipping out because I love it's it. It's sad though. It makes you like miss it. Like I want to know him in his glory days, like with a warhammer, just walking around. Like you know, he's trying to grind his World of Warcraft character. Like but he's just <laughs> really, he's really serious. I am Robert. I smash. But, but it's, exactly. it's a certain. It's a certain truth to I think because everybody, every one of us has had our or will have our glory days, right? And maybe not in war, maybe not in battle, or <laughs> life, or death, glory life or death situations. No, but I mean, we can aspire to, right? I mean, I mean, I would love to have glory days for okay, sure. Okay, okay, let, let me, let me. There's a song by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. If you want to, I know you were listening let me, to. Let Andrew me Bruce. rephrase. Let me rephrase. It's 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 a it's a very human thing to look back on the past and be like, oh, you've changed for the like for the worse, right? You've lost it. You used to be 
This great warrior. Robert I don't Star- think that's yeah. a human thing. I just think that's a that happens to some humans. Okay. That, it doesn't happen to very many people I know, but it does what, happen to some days? people. Glory days? Nobody has glory days? It's kind of a sad older. existence, though, don't you think? You're just like old and like, I hate everything now. I'm just depressed about everything. But man, <laughs> stuff was real good back then. No, the way Robert takes it, like... That's the th- um, well, we know how Robert takes it because he talks to Ned about being king and how much it sucks. But still, I, I think in general, he's managed a, a pretty happy existence. That's what Martin was meant, meant to do, though. He meant to make us sort of look down on Robert for for not being the strong person that he always was. He could have ended up like Ned. Like he could have still been ripped and like looking like a just like a good looking dude. But instead of that, he was fat and he sort of has lost a lot of respect because he stopped working hard and he stopped being himself he, he's susceptible to the ease of the luxury and so that's a way for martin to sort of his fall from grace and his the only reason he has glory days is because of his weakness as a character that's what he was trying to paint and yeah. that's another way in which i think martin sort of really effectively positions the reader in terms of whose side we're on because really i mean i know eric you just said let's skipped an errors to talk about Ned, but with, in these first five chapters of the book, not counting the prologue, four out of the five are Starks. Like, we get four Starks <laughs> thrown at yeah. us straight from the beginning, and then yeah. one Daenerys thrown in. But imagine if these books had started with the perspective of Robert and Jamie and wow. John Aaron and a completely different uh, story wouldn't it? Cersei yeah we would have been like you know yeah these people are kind of bad but the the Starks they're kind of you know stuck up they're with their winter is coming oh, this is and some what brilliant the hell. stuff guys this I know is really yeah. brilliant that's yeah. really cool isn't it because like we would have sort of had that perspective of, of being like yeah we kind of like you even though you're bad and now can we just you have imagine the if Potter was written like this how crazy <laughs> that would be Draco Ma- Malfoy's perspective that's what Voldemort's I'm saying perspective. yeah yeah well, be called Harry Potter. I guess that's what I was getting into. That's what I was getting (laughs) to about, that's what I was trying to get to about the perspective. Like, because I'm thinking of the third person in Harry Potter, because it's telling us what Harry's thinking, but, and it, and, but with the, with the few very rare exceptions, it never strays from Harry. So is it like the same? Is it like it was just a Harry chapter in the Game of Thrones book? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it that same? Yeah, that's that's what it is. Harry chapter in the Game of Thrones. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Harry, that would be a little weird like, at this point. He's what just, am I doing here? <laughs> weird. My forehead doesn't hurt. This isn't normal. <laughs> it's like I should find a train station, and he just keeps <laughs> trying to walk through a wall. It's like Harry, get away from there. You're not Hedwig, <laughs> Selena. Um, well, there are great halls in Winterfell. We know that. Yes, there <laughs> but are. But anyway, Selena, I love what you were saying about Martin positioning the reader. I felt when reading the Daenerys chapter, he was completely positioning us to feel such sympathy for her. Because of the mm-hmm. way she acts and the way, like all the stuff that's said about Viserys, Viserys acts, yeah, like yeah. basically saying how terrible he was, you know, yeah, and just seeing the stuff that he does to her, like he's groping her and causing her physical harm, and has that. He, I was so glad that this was in the book. Obviously, it's in the TV show where you know he's talking about selling her to the call and being like, "I'd let him and all his men and their horses have you if it meant that I got to the, you know, the king to the throne." And she's a poor 13-year-old girl and here we go with the age difference as well, you and know. And this whole time terrible. she's yeah. thinking like, "I don't want to wake the dragon, don't want to, yep. you know, which is I okay, at um, at my house. This is how things work in my house waking the oh, dragon no, means Eric. something a little bit different, okay? But but, in, but for Viserys, right? Waking the dragon is just when he gets angry, right? And and starts oh, abusing her. She's abused. She's an abused child. And 
she really has no choice. She's never seen these uh, vigilantes or these, uh, what do I want to say? The hired knives. The hitmen. Yeah. yeah, the hired knives that her brother says still exist, um, you know, and are chasing them from town to town. So they're never at one place. Why can't hitmen just use swords, you know, just so much more efficient than a knife. <laughs> than a knife. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she's, she's really along for this journey that her brother's leading. She has no control over her fate. And I think she's really um, susceptible to our sympathy. I think Martin did that on purpose. And it's very clear that he wants us to be I – th- I think it's very clear that he wants us to be sorry for her. Comparatively speaking, from the books to the television show, I thought it was incredibly, incredibly fulfilling to see a, uh, a deep – backstory to what exactly Danny and Viserys were doing before they were with Illyrio and before they had started this entire deal with the call and all of these things like how the hell did they get from the the Kingslayer killing their dad and Rhaegar being killed like how did they get from there to this place 13 years later because Danny hadn't even been born yet and so they tell about this like crazy stormy boat ride and all this shit and how Viserys really hates Danny because maybe you know Danny with the mother died during childbirth right so yeah yeah so Danny's yeah. the one that's responsible for her death so he he was alive during this entire thing and he remembers all of these things and so he is just filled with the severe hate of his family being slaughtered and him being kicked out of his home because he was raised as a royal he was raised to be the next king so it's someone like Joffrey having the rug pulled out from under them and he has been forced to sort of be brave and to be rough and to be shifty and to be cunning his entire life just so they would stay alive and not be murdered by these people chasing mm-hmm. them plus so, he's crazy you know yeah. he's mad plus he's That's crazy yeah <laughs> and then there's they like a, basically a 50 50 chance that targaryens are going to be mad and clearly yeah. you know danny and viserys kind of split it that one <laughs> it was just great it was such a a a big image that they painted and i just it it felt like i disliked viserys a lot less after i knew that much about him and then they go right into him being an insufferable asshole so it works (laughs) well i mean even in this chapter words that i'm not familiar with reading you know reading this book words like usurper words like kingslayer which you don't just you just don't hear the word usurper you know what it means you can look it up but you know he martin uses it uh so efficiently that you know, and you're like, okay, which one's the usurper and which one's the Kingslayer? Well, the Kingslayer's Jamie, usurper's Robert, right? Or also Ned sometimes. But Martin keeps it straight. So you can begin to rely, you know, on that when Viserys is thinking about or talking about a usurper. Oh, he means this guy, you know, Kingslayer. Oh, he means this guy. And you can really, it's like a way of getting the story straight, but using like playing Martin's game because he's talking about it and he's so immersed in his own world about you know portraying this that we're getting the backstory but he's he's not necessarily spelling it out for us another interesting thing that got brought up in this chapter was when Daenerys was talking about how she had always thought that she was going to marry her brother and here she is now being given essentially over to Cal Drogo, we learn that it's pretty common practice for Targaryens to marry within their family. Did this strike anybody as kind of being a little weird, a little odd, or did you, based on what you've already read in these first couple of chapters and, and sort of the practices and things that you've seen, say, okay, this, these were the times and, and that's what happened. You got to keep it pure, Micah. Haven't you read Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, like, I never got it in, in Harry Potter either because you see a family tree where they're all pure and it's, 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 an, it's getting narrower, right? You can't just keep sleeping with your brother and, and, and your offspring, can you? Because 
eventually the family tree just dissipates into one, like two or one person, doesn't it? It doesn't. It goes the opposite way than what it should, shouldn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, but then there are new purebloods made every time. You know, you get a second generation. Anyway, <laughs> this isn't Harry yeah. Potter, but um. But no, I think that in terms of of, of it, this story, I was going to say Lord of the Rings now, too many stories. Um, <laughs> I think what threw me off was that we get this introduction to a family of people we like, at least we like Daenerys. You know, we were introduced to her being really sort of a, a good character, a, a point of view character. She's saying that she's basically a product of a long line of incest and she herself expected to enter into incest. Okay, that's the world. Then in a few chapters, we go to Cersei and Jaime and it's this huge thing of, oh my God, I cannot believe they're doing this. This is an outrage. You know, if the kingdom finds yeah. out, blah, 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 blah. And they're all sort of moral about it where I'm sort of sitting there going, well, okay, but they're all blonde. I mean, what's the difference really? You know, why is this so bad when the Targaryens could get away with it? I don't know. That's jarred me a little bit. That's why it was so important that he um, made mention of it. And that's why it's really stuck out to me in this chapter. Because basically what he's doing passively is saying, hey, the Targaryens really do consider themselves like dragons. And so they don't see, they see themselves as beasts, essentially, just very powerful beasts. And in order to keep their line clean, they will behave however they like, and they will, they will reproduce within the family just to hold these bloodlines. And it's totally okay. And that paints the context of them being these just mad people, just totally batshit mm -hmm. crazy and scary. And, and that's why Viserys is so scary. And that's why Danny having a kind demeanor is such a big deal and why we actually should like her when in all reality inside of her she's got this just like very powerful person that could come out because she's from this sort of people yeah and we know yeah. they are magical you know we don't we know they do have some 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 fire in their blood or whatever connection to the dragons that was in the editor chapter too i read this one paragraph where it says that um basically before the dragon lords came over from the sea uh, the Starks had proclaimed themselves kings in the north. But then I was thinking, wait a minute, were the Targaryens not originally from the Westeros area? Did they come over from the sea that they're now exiled to? Um, you know, little things like this that are the history that I want to know more about these dragonborn people, where they came from, and yeah. what their connection is really with, with these dragons. It's super awesome. Mm -hmm. So, hey, guys, I have to actually head out real quick. I have full confidence in you guys to continue without me. So. Thank you. Let's say an official goodbye to Mr. Eric, who has previous engagements this evening. Goodbye, Eric. Goodbye, everybody. Farewell, Eric. I can't wait to read the next five chapters. Are you going to say bye to Eric, Micah? <laughs> Isn't you too angry? <laughs> no, no, I'm good, man. Enjoy yourself, Eric. <laughs> All right. Bye, bye, Micah. Okay, bye. Well, that's how it normally goes. Eric had to leave. That's sad. I just sad. Well, I guess it's okay because we didn't have a Theon chapter this week, so technically we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> We talked a little bit about the Ed Edward. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, should we mention any of the call stuff? Like, because we met, we just met Call Drogo for the first time. I feel like we should talk about that. Yeah. You want to talk it's about basically? Ba yeah, I'll talk about it. Basically, Call Drogo is really hot, um, but really terrifying. And poor, poor little Danny, you know, is sort of just wants to go back to her red door, basically. And they, there's this giant of a man with hair past his buttocks or whatever he writes in the story 
Um, no, you're I right. That Almost was exactly. Brilliantly done. <laughs> I remember that. Stuff. You're like I memorized this part. Uh, I highlighted things. it. <laughs> um, no, you know, um, I think that it was so brilliantly done the way that Martin sort of described this imposing figure who we really know nothing about this guy except for what Viserys tells us. But it's it's absolutely it just paints a picture of what Daenerys is going into. And we, I think, as the readers are immediately just terrified for her. I think that we were supposed to like him, though, because aren't like well, people who are light on their feet, like, aren't they just likable? You know, I think he was like meant to be just maybe I don't know but I think I have never thought about that actually you know what I mean? but um I think he was it was just meant people. to be like this really imposing sort of good looking figure but the fact that she said you know she was like he just looked really mean and he just looked terrifying right like the look in his eyes terrified her it's kind of describing Michael a little bit honestly the first time I, I met him I know. <laughs> I was his hair like, was <laughs> he's so light flooding. on his feet selena said the same thing but selena has not yet even met me oh, so gosh. that kind I can of imagine, scares me a little bit <laughs> that's perfect no it was uh it, it was cool to finally meet drogo and um i feel like um this is one of those perfect examples where i kind of wish at, at, on one hand that i would have read the book before watching the show because um you know when seeing something that i'm a fan of get adapted to screen after the fact, I still retain my original characters in my head, which I feel like isn't that big of a deal, but it's kind of a cool thing. So I, I can't really read this book without seeing um, HBO's depiction of Drogo. And um, it's funny stretching him to an even taller body in my mind. It's like really funny. So <laughs> I'm imagining like, you know, lots of eyeliner and like, you know, it's cool. I'm just, it's, it's cool. It's nice to, to reread it. He's and so, perfect though. Jason Momoa. I, I think agree. He was yeah, one of I the agree. most perfect cast people in the whole show. Yeah, no, it, it was great. It was, it was nice. And, um, I thought it was cool how just like teen movie Danny was throughout that entire chapter, just like young and like Martin did such a good job capturing like a young, like teenage girl's mind, just kind of like kind of thinking about superficial stuff, you know, like my brother's weird, you know, and stuff like that. Like the whole time, like it was just it was cool. I liked it. It was just, it was very bright. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a good point, Zach. And I, and I think that you, we talked a lot in the last couple of episodes about Daenerys season two and how we've sort of become disconnected with her. But, you know, now going back and reading the books and kind of thinking to season one, you can understand how people got a bit captivated by her in a way, not just because uh, she was naked in several <laughs> scenes, but because me, you know, know you sort of feel sympathy for her. You know, she's kind of all by herself. You know, dealing with her brother, dealing with uh, Illyrio, and and entering into a situation with Drogo that you're not exactly sure what's going to happen to her. I mean, it's almost like she's being sold into slavery, and th there's a huge question mark as to what's going to happen. The other character that comes up in this particular chapter we're introduced to for the first time is Jorah. Mm. And he was, uh, it was a very sneaky description, but he was just like a, he was a very attractive over 40s man is what I took out of it. Like he was just athletic and still badass. I liked, uh, but before we move on, I liked your point about uh, Daenerys being sold almost as a slave because I think that's sort of, that's something that I feel they lost in the series majorly, at least so far with how you know, how she feels about slavery, basically. Exactly, yeah. That plays such a huge role. I mean, it, it did in the past season on, on HBO, and it will continue to, you know, moving forward. She has this really strong feeling towards 
seeing people enslaved and, and trying to free them. And she really doesn't like it when she loses her dragons either. So she also feels passionately about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's that pisses her off a little yeah. bit. <laughs> well, I guess next up we have uh, Mr. Eddard's chapter himself. And um, it's uh, it was a long time coming. I felt like we had to go through other chapters from these other people. And I felt like just the moment Ned Stark was uh, introduced to me through the eyes of Bran, I was just like, well, this is the guy I got to figure out about. And it's not just because of Sean Bean either. Like, he just seems like a very interesting guy. And it was cool to finally see some stuff from his perspective and to see Robert for the first time, yeah, obviously. Definitely. I just love Ned. Like, I just, uh, I love Ned. I did, why he die? <laughs> Shock value. HBO yeah. is very strong. That's That was HBO's fault. You know, they went back in time and sold uh, George R. R. Martin. Like, listen, guys, I think that you might want to think about killing off your main yeah, character. Yeah, I think you want to you want to do a, do, a, do a lost here and kill off Jack, but different. And the pilot, just leave him out. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's well, what we they wanted to do. This, so, let's <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So, Ned was chilling in the crypt with his homie and... Rob. <laughs> Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you really get more backstory here. Um, and you do get some of it in the, the television series as well. But you also get a really strong sense for how much Robert cared about Liana. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, clearly he had very strong feelings for her and got very frustrated with what ended up happening and he even at one point says that she doesn't deserve to be buried down here in this dark, dirty crypt beneath the earth. He, she deserves better than that. Um, and you know, Ned tells her, well, I was with her when she died and this is what she requested. And you, know, you really get that first introduction to the crypt as well where all these – you know, former. What would you say of of Winterfell? Is Starks? it Lord? I get yeah, <laughs> oh, St- Lords, Starks, yeah. but I meant like Lord. I was going to say King, like hosts really king. of Winterfell, like the the people that the stewards of Winterfell, essentially. Like a kingdom will live longer than any person. It's like it's right. like what Tyrion or it's what Tywin's character Charles Dance was saying in the second season of the show, where it's a greater good. It's the more of the reputation of your family, not more than the individuals within it and your place that you guys are the stewards of is Winterfell. So it gives you the grander image, you know, which is a big thing and that they did establish really early on. And I thought it was great that what Martin did in this, in this chapter and just really, really, really made us like Robert. I felt like it was like, we understood that he was slightly um, less intelligent than he was before. He let the laziness get to him, but he still was very passionate about Leanna having a good grave and things like that, that were really honorable. It seemed. Mm-hmm. We also uh, got our first description of that scene that I'm, I'm sad that Eric left. Cause I wanted to prove to him that I wasn't spoiling him when I was talking about the promise me Ned uh, reference <laughs> that Ned sort of plants in our minds or Martin plants in our minds. I should say from very early on in the story that she was lying yep. in a bed of blood and roses and she said those words, and we still wonder what exactly she meant. Yeah. It's, uh, and the Kranig man was there. And the plot thickens. <laughs> and you also get, like I said, a bit of that backstory. Uh, they talk about you know how they sort of join forces to handle Bale and Greyjoy. And the other name that gets mentioned really briefly in here, who I know is the father of some of Selena's favorite characters, <laughs> is Howland Reed. Yes! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> like I'm, I'm. It's like she's like I'm a dad fan. I'm like yeah, he made basically. a lot of cool people. So. I just like the dads. Yeah. That's perfect. Yes, he's the father of a uh, Mira so. and Jojen who are going to be introduced in season three. 
So yay. Nice. But yeah, this is just one of those situations, especially when you get in all this backstory where you're being introduced to characters who maybe don't have relevance until later on in the story. Maybe they did never have relevance ever again. You're just kind of hearing those names, but you know, they you're like, Oh yeah, you know, I know who that is. That makes sense now. And I just think that you know, you get towards the end of this chapter and all of a sudden now you have Robert asking Ned to be Hand of the King. Boom, boom, boom. Beginning the, of the end. It's the new Defense Against the Dark Arts position, everybody. Uh-huh. It's the Hand of the King. Come on down. Welcome to the club. And everyone dies. Perfect end to everything. Yes. Well done, John, uh, Rob, for like dooming them all, basically. <laughs> it's great that he was able to give us all these little victories. Um in the rest of the series, just from this little bit of setup he did, you know, with these two finally speaking face to face, they haven't done it in so long, and they finally got to like have their good mo- like friend moment, which is cool, and they'll have more in the future, which is which is mm-hmm. great. But uh, you know, we move on to um, John's chapter, and it's they're they're finally doing like the big celebration, like everyone's there. Winterfell's the spot to be. Paparazzi, like we're like getting at them, and they were coming inside. You know, the reporters are going nuts. And it's time to lock the place down and enjoy a fine meal. And I really do feel like in this chapter, you know, just to, to, to continue our trend of all the Potter references, Jon Snow really is the Harry Potter of of this story. You know, yeah. he's the he's the, the poor little orphan boy sitting, you know, at, at another table while his, his Dursley family, not to call the Starks the Dursleys, but, <laughs> um, you know, there's a bit of Petunia over Catelyn because she is a bit of a bitch to him. Let's she face is it. just like um, Petunia Dursley. Yeah. But she's nice, though, at the same time. Like, I do like her, but towards John, she's just a horrible human being and poor guy. And he, you know, gets drunk on fire whiskey and hangs out with Hedwig. And yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I love these references that are happening right now. <laughs> Uh, in the book with Catelyn that you don't necessarily see in the show. I don't think you really ever see it. Um, and you get much more disdain towards Jon Snow. And, and it's seen in this chapter a little bit. Um, she clearly does not like him at all. I didn't like how awkward she was making him feel. And so we're seeing it from his perspective. And, you know, we joked about the Petunia thing early on. But, like, seriously, though, it, it was a lot like that. She was just being an insufferable asshole because of something that he had no control over. And it is um, terrible. it's, you know, it's actually a theme that's told in a lot of different stories. And it's so neat to feel it inside of this medieval world, because I feel like it's another like BSG kind of thing where like, it's like, like Will Adama's like, you know, there's some problems or whatever. Well, this is just drama within your like, your royalty, you're like the leaders of this society and you guys have drama too. But like, it's not less of a big deal just because they're a big deal. It still hurts the same, you know? Yeah. And I think, we, I think we get it more in the story as well, because in this, in the series, I think we sort of just have Catelyn introduce this, this really nice lady, this, this wife, this mother, and then she has like one scene um, with Bran and, and John, where she's like, get out! And she's like, acts all crazy. And then she goes back to being nice. But in the book, we have so many chapters from Catelyn's point of view where we get to experience her feelings for John a lot more. And we realize how horrible she actually is to him. But not to her other kids. And, but not to the others. No, she's nice. Yeah. And, you know, John says, okay, well, that's how I'm going to be treated. I'm just going to get drunk. He starts drinking that whiskey, man. He just starts knocking him back. And people are like, hey, John, don't you want to slow down, bud? And he's like, guys, listen, I've done this before. Okay, I live here. He's like, I don't have to drive anywhere. He just had like those crazy talks. I love when he talked to Uncle Ben. And you say, you have who wrote Not Kenobi in the doc? Because that's hilarious. I don't know. <laughs> but it, but it's so true, Eric. though. He was acting the same way as, you know, someone like in Star Wars. Star Wars would be like training someone younger, you know? Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Now... 
Do you think he got drunk on Lannister Gold, Frostbite Bitter, <laughs> Stag Ale, Old Worm, or Ron Brew Stout? Let's think. He was probably sipping on some Lannister Gold. I guarantee you Robert brought a few casks of that because his wife like made him. Summer wine. Yeah. Just to be dull. <laughs> Just to bring it down in. Yeah, that's to, true. Yeah. That's probably what it was. Yeah, well, that's what it was. All right. <laughs> I didn't uh, read I could, this, guys. I, that. <laughs> I read it, though. I know it was summer All right, wine. Selena, make it sound badass, please. <laughs> I'll try. It, it was a joke because I was reading the own. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, you know the one you put up with all the different beer yeah. bottles? Yeah, dude. The... I remember. That's, I was trying okay. to joke around with it, but she hadn't. She wasn't yeah. having any of it. No, she tried to be serious. Yeah. yeah, she did. <laughs> it's 3 a.m., guys. <laughs> what kind of wine? <laughs> let's let's just go to the, the combo with Tyrion. Oh, my God. And... That was the best thing in the world. Are you guys kidding? That was made of so much. Oh, okay. I'll just go into it here. Okay, so John basically, he is at the feast, and he's hanging out, and he gets wasted, and, you know, we uh, Uncle Ben makes an interesting comment. He goes, I'm not, I, something, something, son. And John is like, I'm, you're not my father, blah, 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 and makes a scene <laughs> and storms out. And it's all hissy. And then he meets Tyrion. And you have to you have to understand, like, first of all, we get the introduction of all these Lannisters, and John is basically watching them all going, yeah, this person's insipid, this person's an idiot, this, yeah. like, the queen looks mean, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then Tyrion comes out, and he is sitting, like, how is this for an introduction for a character? He's sitting on a wall, and he's like, yo, <laughs> bastard, what's up? And he, like, does this backflip off the wall <laughs> double backflip triple axle yeah. and then he goes on to just basically prove why he is the most awesome person in the whole world and just starts talking about you know you're a bastard and i'm a dwarf and my father hates me but i don't care and ah oh, it's just amazing he just like lays out this like gymnastics moves from london 2012 <laughs> he he's like hey what's up pretty much and i think that you know i think that this they left that out of the show i don't i can't imagine why <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that they've replaced that with all the sex. I guess they thought that made him look cooler for some reason. But um, absolutely, no. That's that's legit. Like the best character entrance of yes, all time. It was like, that's so pretty good. Baller. Like it was so amazing. And then you know they have this discussion basically about how John needs, immediately Tyrion comes in and it's the voice of reason and just goes, you know, you would need to wear your bastard like armor so it can't hurt you. And then as he leaves this epic scene of, of awesomeness, you, you, you have this line that goes, that, that's in the dock, that says, for just a moment, Tyrion Lannister stood tall as a king as his shadow was sort of reflected against the entrance. And it was like, ah! And I hope that's foreshadowing because I want him to be king. I, I think it's so, you know, the line that you talked about is, is just really applicable, especially in today's society where... You know, he says, let me give you some counsel, bastard. Never forget what you are, for surely the world will not. Make it your strength, then it can never be used, never be your weakness. Armor yourself in it, and it will never be used to hurt you. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely fantastic. That's deep stuff. It's such an awesome quote. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true. And I guess um, if we're going into owns from this, I my own definitely came from this from this scene. Um, and it was just, I was thinking, cause there's so many epic stuff, so much epic stuff happening with these introductions, character introduction, but this was just my favorite ever where, you know, they, they sort of continue the theme of subtly dropping hints about John's parentage and they're talking about him being a bastard and John goes, I don't even know who my mother was. <laughs> and Tyrion replies, some woman, no doubt, most of them are. <laughs> 
And that's just hilarious. It's like, way that's to bring perfect. it down. Yes. All right. My turn, I guess. I guess so. My, wait, Micah, do you have like a, an incredibly crafted no, one no, for this us? Is just, Don't lie to me. Do you? Oh, no, no. It's it's actually from the same chapter. Okay. Yep. Well, let's hear it, buddy. It's, it's Tyrion. Okay. And he says... Remember this, boy. All dwarfs may be bastards, yet not all bastards need be dwarfs. Mm. Do that's perfect. He's always schooling people. He's always teaching. Yeah. Tyrion Lannister again owning because mine. <laughs> <laughs> I gave my own to Tyrion's intro. <laughs> well done. Yes. How, how do you not give an? Is own? he going to be in the Summer Olympics? Too? It's a craftily <laughs> you know, executed double backflip triple axle. I mean, that sounds like a delicious meal or a delicious trick. So yes, I think that he gets my own of the week. I think That's, he deserves all of the owns. Now you guys have to write us in and tell us why other characters might have deserved wait, owns as well. Wait, I got one. Let me see if I can find one for Eric here, since he wasn't able to be on the show. Wait, is that what he wrote on uh, Skype? No. I'm just looking for one. Hold on one second. I'll, I should be able to locate one here. I'm sure it was when uh, Theon kicked the head. <laughs> Keeping on the Summer Olympics theme here. Yeah. It's Got like, hey, hey, can you pick sports. up that head? Because we're, we're trying to do shot putt today. So just <laughs> let me know how long you can toss it. Yeah. I'm trying to look for something intelligent that Theon says, but it just... It doesn't no... happen, does it? Just just do just do Theon kicking the head, Selena. You can just actually announce it. Okay. Well, um, I'm... I'm uh... <laughs> I'm deciding for for Eric here. I think I can pretty much guess what his own is going to be. And it's going to be that infamous entrance by Theon Greyjoy kicking the head and announcing that he is a bastard. Not a literal (laughs) bastard, just a bastard in general. Theon Greyjoy is a head person, head kicker. Mm -hmm. Theon Greyjoy likes to kick heads. so He does. There you go. That's Eric's own of the week this week. That's what Eric would have chosen. They all reek. And this is the perfect situation to say, hey, guys, guess what? Next week, we'll be reading your owns of the week from chapters a six through ten, which I think is a a handful of nice little five chapters. Right, guys? I think that's the math. Yes. We put the math together and we thought that's the way to do it. We're going to do six through ten next week. So that's the new try. And uh, before we wrap things up this week, just wanted to get back and do a couple more of the Westerosian Basketball League top five draft picks. And the first one here from the forums comes from Larry the Direwolf, also known as Larry the Wombat. (laughs) And uh, he says, got to draft Jack and Highgar. Can't put a hand in his face because he doesn't have one. Mm -mm -mm. Next up, Sir Loris, great at ball handling. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Trent already beat you there. Then the Hound won't let the other team catch fire. If they do, he's worthless. True. It's very true. Very true. Uh, fourth, Braun. Great with elbows. Mm, try not to get those fouls, though, buddy. And final pick, Jamie. If LeBron's king, who better to slay him? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. I like that. Yeah, That's good. It's very good. Very good. I've got a, um, a, a couple from the left underscore lane, and I wanted to do this one because I think she has some excellent choices that are really original. Um, she says, I've put a lot of thought into this, and considering characters from all five books, I've picked my top five. Um, Arya is, first of all, because she's quick as a snake. Khal Drogo, because he's never been defeated. We all miss this one, guys. I feel embarrassed on our behalf yeah, because clearly, that's true. duh, his hair bashed his butt cheeks. <laughs> We're talking about this How's he going to, like, he's got to put that, like, in a bun before <laughs> a bun, he plays, yes. right? He'll have he's a like, hold that. Yeah, um, dude. Yeah, Metal World Peace get a hold of that. Like, so, like a Minerva McGonagall bun on top of this. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And then you're, there's, you're reading um, a list. Sorry. 
Then there's Melisandre because she's got the power. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, great John because he could spill the ball on his three remaining fingers. I'm not, oh, the great John. I think the great John is um, the guy who is with Rob. Right, Micah? He's um he's like yeah, basically Rob's John right hand man. Yep. He's, it's not John John or the yeah. John we know. And then the last one is Woonweg Woon Darwin because he's tall and I have no idea who this is. By the way, if you're not finished with all five books, don't Google that last name. Seriously, don't. <laughs> okay. We will not. We will not. <laughs> I probably shouldn't Google it, no. No, you so will though. I probably will. Selena, you've done all the books. Yeah, though. I've done all the books, but I don't wanna give anything away uh, okay on my behalf thank you so much You're welcome i try <laughs> um, <laughs> um insanity writes here's my westerosian five center hodor seriously who wouldn't want an eight foot 13 inch 367 pound man down in the post he takes direction well and would never become an ego problem only drawback he's not allowed to give any post-game interviews so that that would make a little bit of sense power forward called drogo i'm highlighting the word power for me power forward position Nice for me. He's got a good size and strength that could really intimidate the position on defense. So, yep, Call Drogo would probably be good at that. Jon Snow was a center, small forward for the small forward spot. Need to give a good perimeter score and perimeter defender. Snow was born for this spot. There isn't a more elite perimeter defender than a man of the Night's Watch guarding the perimeter of the realm. He's also a proven perimeter scorer. Just ask your grit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, shooting guard, Theon Greyjoy. I need a good sharpshooter for my shooting guard spot. I think the TV series made him look better than he really is, but anyone that can snipe a bird from the sky in one shot is good enough for me. I keep waiting for him to pull a Robin Hood and split an arrow in two, but alas, Kevin Costner, he is not. So, Theon Greyjoy. <laughs> there you go. And Aww. finally, for the point guard position, we have Renly Baratheon. Save the best for last. Renly has the three most important attributes needed to play point guard. First, leadership. Come on. He declared for king without having any kind of legitimate claim, yet he was able to draw more support than his brother. Second, motivation. I doubt he would be too shy to get in that huddle, slap some butts, and motivate. (laughs) Third, the most important (laughs) ability of all, Renly is a premier ball handler. Just ask the Knight of Flowers. Enough said. Thank you, Insanity. I think, with your name, sir. Those were good. Yeah. A lot of creative uh, listeners out there. Definitely. creative shit out there there's a handful more in the forums and i'm sure there's going to be even more for the next week block of reading that we have and possibly what we talked over this week if you guys want to spill that in with it some but just as a reminder next week we're going to be going on and on about chapters six through ten and um also that following week a lot of us will be traveling on the show or a few of us um so but luckily we figured it out to where the shows are all going to be recorded perfectly in time and we may have some bonus content because a few of the hosts are going to be together with each other that's not me and if you want to give us those owns that zach just talked about you can of course uh tweet at us at game of owns or visit our facebook page at facebook.com backslash game of owns or email us contact at game of owns.com or like larry the direwolf just did you could uh, hop on to our forums, which is what's the address again, Zach? Uh, let me let me look real quick. Shit. <laughs> Gamebones. Oh, Micah, it's gamebones.com/forum. Perfectly placed. Oh, who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Or in the yeah. different tense of the words. And as always, we appreciate you guys rating and reviewing us on iTunes. We continue to uh, receive so much great feedback. Uh, from you, the listeners, and of course we uh, we take what you say, and you know if you want to give some uh, opinion, maybe on ways we can improve the show, change some things up, 
you know, especially as we get into this book discussion, uh, we're open to do all different types of ideas as to how we can structure it and make it more entertaining for you. And you can find me over on hyperbole.com, which in, if in my own modest opinion, a fantastic resource for all types of fandoms, including Harry Potter and Game of Thrones and Once Upon a Time. And, you know, we've got Comic-Con coming up and we're going to be doing lots of coverage about that. So please go check that out. Hyperbole is hands down the... The brightest and most interesting news outlet I've seen on the internet. That's like, you know what I mean? Just like everything that you guys are interested in doing, it's like nothing is half-assed. You guys, you guys kill every single like fandom and different kind of topic that you guys cover. So like, well, well done. Like it's doing very well. Thank you. Well, I obviously agree. dot com. Yes. Yeah, and obviously um, over at GameOfOwns.com, we have a nice little stream of stuff to you serving the best of Westeros, which basically just means we have awesome bite-sized bits of content from throughout the whole Game of Thrones universe and the books and the show, the crazy shit that you guys make, uh, everything. And it's just been, you know, it's been coasting probably about a month now on the new design of the website and sort of the new mission. And you guys are just destroying. Um, p- specifically this week, something that I thought was absolutely hilarious that got a lot of t- a lot of attention from you guys online was the Harry Potter Game of Thrones crossover, which I thought, again, <laughs> someone probably made because they listened to the show and we just keep m- merging these two things together. But uh, what was it exactly like John Aaron's letter got sent to someone else or some shit like that what was it yeah and they're like what you know what is the seed uh what is it the seed is Is that is that a raven there was a raven in hogwarts (laughs) the seed is strong what does that mean and you know this other guy in westeros goes like what the uh, fuck is hogwarts yeah exactly is that supposed to be ned yeah yeah getting the the letter saying what the seven hells is hogwarts so you know just little little bits of funny stuff and you know people dig it it's good stuff and I'm, I'm glad that you all are enjoying that as well alright well I guess that'll do it right guys I think so well we have music playing and I'm sure that you can hear it with your earballs that's where it's been for a very long time and by that I mean 13 now 14 episodes I'm Zach Louie I'm Selena Wilkin and I'm Mike about Game of Owns it is owned it is <laughs> owned it's gonna be 15 <laughs> next episode yay older than Jon Snow <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, bye, guys. Bye.